because I believe science might offer an answer to the curse of the Bambino. Why someone took so long to hire that guy is beyond me. Anybody who's not tearing their team down right now and rebuilding it using your model, they're dinosaurs. One of the great things about money is it, it buys a lot of things. One of which is the luxury to disregard what baseball likes, doesn't like, what baseball thinks, doesn't think. It's a threatening, not just a way of doing business, but, it's, but in their minds, it's threatening the game. How can you not be romantic about baseball? All right, Brent Porcio, topvelocity.net, here on another Baseball Ops podcast. Special guest today, an old friend, uh, Dr. <laughs> Chris McKenzie, man. How you doing? Great, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to catch up with you and uh you know chat about everything that you've been doing and some stuff that i've been doing also so yeah man i mean you you sent me the new book and and, you know we talked about it when you were finishing it and i'm pretty excited about Mm -hmm. it man it's called unleash your pitching velocity the three-step system to throwing harder um obviously velocity is a big topic in baseball and and i'm glad (laughs) you're putting out um a condensed version of really like everything that's out there is it would that be a good way of summarizing it i think so yeah that's um you know I, velocity like you said it, it is a hot topic kind of word right so i knew that i had to grab people's attention with that word and then truthfully what i've been doing for the past uh i've been practicing for uh, almost 12 years now and over the past probably 10 of them i've been refining this examination s- system that really does kind of highlight um, all the weak areas in the baseball pitcher, where that's muscle weakness or poor flexibility or poor control. It kind of shows me what what each pitcher has, and then once they get on a proper program to address those, then they get the most out of working with their strength coaches. The most of working out of their get the most out of working with their pitching coaches. You know, I often see a lot of uh, pitchers that come to me from guys like you and and uh and, and their pitching coach has said you know i've been trying to get this this pitcher this kid to get in this position and i just can't like i you know i've tried every tool in my bag and said so i examine them and i'm like well yeah no there's there's a pretty good reason why he can't get into that position it's because like he doesn't have the mobility mm-hmm. to get into that position or he doesn't have the strength he doesn't have the strength in his drive leg uh to be able to drive off yeah the rubber so well, talk, talk, talk about your background so let people know your credentials um a little history how you got into this yeah um well, let's see so um my name's chris mckenzie uh i'm a double board certified sports and orthopedic physical therapist uh, i've been practicing for almost 12 years uh and almost exclusively 10 for 10 years or so with baseball pitchers baseball players um Back when I was younger, uh, I was a track and field athlete, and um, my my I had made it to the state championship meet as a junior. Um, I was running the 300 hurdles, um, and uh, that garnered me a lot of Division One college interest. And that's kind of what I had wanted to do. I had wanted to run for a big name college uh, and someday make it to the Olympics. And so fast forward another year, so I, I, I'm kind of amped up. I have all these colleges that are looking at me, um, and about the third track meet of the following year, so it's my senior year, I'm lining up for the 100-meter dash, 
they blow the gun. I explode out of the blocks, chug, 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 around 20, 25 meters in. I feel this little tingle on the back of my leg. And I take one more step and bam, I feel this like blew out your hamstring. Pain. Blew like, out my like, hamstring. Like force gump, right? Something bit like, me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And like, you know, so I was, I, I missed the next six weeks because you can't come back too soon from a hamstring injury. You're just going to re, re-injure it. So, you know, I was working with my, uh, my athletic trainer at school and she put a lot of emphasis on my hamstring and, um, you know, I made it back by the end of the season. There's this one meet that I had to, I had to place in the top, the top two. if I wanted to get back to States again, um, and I placed eighth and all those big name schools just kind of looked away. They, they just looked the other way all mm. from one injury yeah. that set me back. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that have my same story. Um, and so like anybody with a will, I found a way. Uh, I went to Penn State for college. Uh, I actually walked on the track team there. Um, and within a month or so, uh, I ended up tearing the same hamstring wow. again. So um, those kinds of experiences kind of drove me to go towards physical therapy school. And uh, when I was there, I actually learned that the root cause of my hamstring problem was never addressed. So not to get too technical, but... The muscles on the front side of my hips or my hip flexors, my psoas, mm-hmm. um, they were too tight. Yeah. They were too tight, and they were rotating my pelvis towards the front, yeah. and they were over-stretching Stretching or over-lengthening yeah. my hamstrings, right? Yeah. So it wouldn't have mattered how much focus I had on my hamstrings, how long or how strong they got. They were bound to re-tear again and again and again, and that's precisely what happened. Yeah. So when I was in... When I was in PT school, um, to kind of tr- transition more to like the more towards the shoulder and the elbow and the baseball realm, I had some excellent sports medicine training in the shoulder and the elbow. I trained under uh, John Andreka and Todd Ellen Becker uh, out in Scottsdale, Arizona. Just really had a good good grasp of how to treat the, the shoulder and the elbow in athletes. So I saw a lot of a lot of uh, baseball players out there, a lot of tennis guys and um you know i came back east here um in philadelphia and i started to grow uh a niche for myself since i was kind of a specialist in the shoulder and elbow i ended up seeing a lot of these baseball guys Uh, unfortunately i saw them when they were already injured (laughs) yeah so um over the past few years kind of harping on my kind of story if i Myself, if I had gone through an examination like the one that I give guys now, if I had known that my hip flexors were tight, if I had known all these other weaknesses on my body, I could have prevented my injury from happening in the first place. And how much more performance would I have had if I just corrected that? Right. So I don't want anyone to go down the same road that I went through um, having the injury and not knowing how to kind of maximize your body's potential um and so that's kind of how i practice and that's kind of why i i developed this unique total body examination that i've been doing for the past whole bunch of years and i decided to put it in the book and in the book it kind of teaches i i my intent is to teach moms and dads out there coaches other players 
uh, other trainers how to do my unique examination on their own kids, on their own athletes. Uh, athletes can do it on their, their, their teammates so that they can not only prevent injuries before they occur, they can, they can find those key things that are going to lead to injury, but they can lay the proper foundation for performance enhancement. And that's kind of what this book is all about. So I'm, I'm stopping at nothing to get this information in the hands of every serious baseball player that I can. Well, that's great, man. I think you and I have been part of this new movement of, um, more self-awareness in how the body works in baseball. You know, there's just too many, that old school mentality is just a lot of the traditional ways. And it's just very ignorant of kinesiology of the science of how the body works. And I think you're just helping people understand that and how that allows you to prevent career ending injury in a sport that has a pattern of injury and how that allows you to potentially, you know, go reach your, your true potential, like, you know, go farther than more than likely you were capable of just, you know, naturally, I guess it, it allows you to really mm -hmm. optimize what you have. Uh, I mean, to me, this is the, the new way of doing it. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? I completely agree. And I'm not sure like where all the naysayers come for when they talk about the things that you do. I mean, the evidence points to everything that you're, that you are doing with your training. You know, you have to use your legs. The legs are the things that are the driving force behind getting, no pun intended, the ball rolling for a throw. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you create energy, you create force with your legs and then transfer that down the chain or well, up really the chain. Really, at the end of the day, man, we're, we're just the messengers here. I mean, I've had a personal experience with it and trained a lot of guys, but we're just the messengers. I mean, we're actually doing the work. We're, we're reading the medical journals and we're taking the research and we're applying it and implementing it. And so the naysayers are just behind the times, unfortunately, because we're just the messengers. Right. <laughs> well, right on, man. Let's get into, I'm going to go through the table of contents here. Um, a lot of good things. Um, you know, section one, you get into the kinetic chain, uh, even pitching muscles. How deep mm -hmm. do you go into kind of teaching the body in, in those sections? I go very deep, uh, but I go very deep in a in an easy-to-read, easy-to-understand way. Um, I don't use very technical language, as you as you've have, have read. Um, and I just kind of touch on the major muscles that are working that we know from the literature that, that um, are used heavily during a baseball pitch. So uh, I kind of link them together. I say, all right, this is what happens first. This is what happens next. This is what happens next. Uh, I describe it in a very easy to follow way that you understand what body parts and what muscles, what body parts are moving and what muscles cause them to move. Cool. Um, and, and then, then, and how then those it goes, work. and then it goes into throwing injuries. Cause I mean, so basically you're going to help them understand the body and how it, what muscle activity helps drive pitching um, and then then you're going to talk about what's getting injured and how injury occurs and how to avoid injury is that how, how you start to lay it out that's how I lay it out yeah I wanted to give a good over overview of like this 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 these are the areas on the body that are working to create this movement that we want to do this is the pitch but now let's go back and look at this so this muscle has such high muscle force activation um, when it's been tested on baseball pitchers, when they throw, if this muscle 
gets too tight, then it's going to limit this, and this is going to lead to injury. And there's evidence that supports that. Um, we could talk like – I'll give them an example. What do you sure. think? So like if the pec minor gets too tight and then it puts the scap into an anterior tilt, tilt. and then you can, you, you're can you more prone to impingements, labrum tears, wouldn't, wouldn't you say that that sometimes is uh, – I wouldn't – that might actually be a common issue. Do you find that to be a common issue? It's a very common issue. So if you look at if you look at a pitcher statically, their dominant arm, the arm that they throw with, is going to sit lower. Now, in like ninety plus percent of the population, that's that's how we sit. Our dominant arm sits a little bit lower, uh, but in a pitcher, it sags even lower. Right. And that's usually a combination of pec minor tightness, lower trap weakness, probably serratus anterior weakness as mm-hmm. well, um, and it allows that faulty pattern. So. That is, um, it's a, it's, um, it's an adapt, I'll call it, it's an adaptation that happens from pitching, but it's not normal. Like mm-hmm. we have to, we have to correct that. We have to get more, like you were saying, like more posterior tail. We have to get the scapula to come back more. Yeah. You know, I was talking the other day with someone about the importance of the serratus interior and the lower trap to elevating the scapula. And I, I so I'm, in, I'm getting my master's in kinesiology and then my I was, I guess I was really pressing it hard in one of my class discussions and my instructor was like, Brent, you also got to be careful that you over, if you over emphasize the serratus interior, you can actually tear the labrum with an overactive serratus interior. Have you, I haven't read a lot of literature on that. Have you? No. Um, and I'd be curious to see where they read that from. Most people are going to have a underutilized serratus. I know. So he was kind of, well, you know, everything does have balance. I mean, I didn't argue with him. I was like, well, I mean, that kind of makes sense. I'm sure if if it's overactive, (laughs) maybe it's, it's pulling the scap up too hard and then it's almost like dislocating itself from the glenohumeral. I don't know. Yeah. I'd like to see that. Yeah, Um, no, that's kind of rare. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he was just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, he was. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But but, I, but I, you're right. In most cases, it's right. a weakness in the in the inferior, you know, scap, right? Exactly. Yeah the 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 lower trap is weaker, so it'll be dominated by the tightness of the pec minor. So the pec minor gets tight. It attaches on the frontward projection of your scapula, which is called the coracoid process. It's that little yeah. nub, like right below your collarbone. Yeah. Um, and, and then that muscle attaches down on your ribs, so it runs from those two points. And so if it's tight, it pulls your scapula down, right? And so that, so um, it's if you're familiar with the term reciprocal inhibition, when a muscle on one side of a joint is too tight, it kind of inhibits the opposite. So the easiest way to understand that is like if the if you do a lot of bicep curls and you kind of over act, activate the the bicep it's actually going to make your tricep even weaker. Weaker, right. Exactly. Well, I think because that's the lengthening effect. I think if you over-lengthen a muscle, it creates laxity and weakness. Exactly. So it's like, you know, I think there's a study that showed pitchers. There, so they took a group of pitchers and then a control group of non-pitchers. Mm-hmm. And in external rotation, the pitchers had on their throwing arm had were less, had, had more weakness or they weren't as strong as the non-pitchers in external mm-hmm. rotation, external mm-hmm. rotation strength. So it's probably all that lengthening over time actually breaks that shoulder down. That's why we we get our shoulders get weaker typically towards the end of the end end of the season. 
No, exactly right. So the shoulder external rotators are mainly, you know, they're going to be heavily used when they're they're in the deceleration process as we're, you know, as our arm passes by our ear and the elbow is rapidly starting to extend and the wrist is going to extend. The rotator cuff muscles on the backside, the external rotators are going to are going to be working eccentrically, so the muscles yeah. lengthening but contracting, and so over time that lengthen, 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 uh, while still contracting is going to it's going to over lengthen that muscle, and that could be due to and that could lead to weakness. I mean yeah. that's probably the the number one thing that I see. Right. And there's evidence out there. The guys who start who have preseason weakness of their external rotators are the guys that lead to injury, like fifty percent of the time if not more. <laughs> right. I saw there was a study on that. If you came into preseason or just before your season, if you had a weak shoulder, you were more prone to injury. I mean, that's kind of a duh study, but that's yeah. definitely the case. And so to kind of touch on that more, like when, um, you know, like with your, with your Olympic training, uh, or also I'll say Olympic style yeah, and, um, using the, 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 the special tools out there, right. That, um, that emphasize putting more, more force down with the legs. Yeah. They're great. Right. Cause we, if, if we generate more force with the leg, it's going to cause less demand right. on the, the shoulder the body. Yeah. But then the other, the flip side of the coin is that shoulder is going to be still weak. Right. So before you start to add more, before you start to throw more gas on the fire with, with the kind of training that you do and using, uh, leg trainers like King of the Hill, trainer yeah, right um you need to strengthen up your your shoulder or else you know yeah. you're just going to be putting no i mean i make a big point of upper body strength i, I mean I, we're big overhead pressers mm -hmm. I, I like guys to be able to have overhead strength at least even be able to hold weight overhead for a good amount of time mm -hmm. just because you know the scaps are strong enough to stabilize that joint right exactly and just even holding the weight up there you're going to be activating this serratus you know i like to tell guys when they're holding weight overhead to push it up, like push, like push from your serratus, almost like you're a waiter and you're trying to hold a yeah. tray, trying to exactly. push it up, up there, not hike it with your, your upper traps, yep. but push it. Well, good. So you get really into the pitch and injury stuff, which is important for people to learn, to avoid, to help avoid. Um, what's this specific pitch and injury and low performance scenarios? What's that section about? So in this, in this section, I kind of touch on um, one of the most common times of injury that I see are when pitchers are playing in the fall. Um, and these, these would obviously be more like a youth. Um, so a youth player that you know has played in the spring, they played in the summertime, and now they're playing in the fall they haven't given their body enough of time to rest and they're continuing to play. So I'm a pretty firm believer that uh, in the fall, the winter time, that's the time that you should be spending on developing right. yourself as a pitcher and not continuing to play. You don't need to play all year round in order to become a good baseball player or a good pitcher. You need to develop your body to become one. No, I think that's critical. There's just too much of the year-round playing. That's a big issue. Um, you need to... You need that time to hypertrophy, put weight on, re, you know, allow that soft tissue to heal for a good amount of time, not just in a short term, um, and, and you know everything to kind of re, redevelop. Like you said, I think that's a mm -hmm. huge 
part of staying healthy and, and, and while increasing performance to your career. Exactly. So you, you got these how to's, how to properly warm up, how to, how to cool down. So that's good. You give them like a kind of a game plan pre and post performance or pitching. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's so much. One of the main complaints that I hear from parents out there is, um, that they don't think their coach knows how to properly warm, warm their players up. And so in this, in these two, in this one chapter, I guess, in, or in these two, two chapters in the book, I do explain, um, how to properly warm up and just to kind of run over that real quick, uh, you know, a lot, lot of people are doing specific stretches, um, and like a, say like a sleeper stretch, uh, and like these longer stretch holds of your hamstrings or your quads or what, whatnot. They are good, but you don't want to do those right before you go to practice or right before you play. So if you need to lengthen up a muscle, uh, you can do those stretches, but then you have to follow that up with a dynamic warm up. Uh, a dynamic warm-up does not increase the length of muscles. It simply warms them up to 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 play at the performance, or to to play with the performance that you want to have during a game. So, if you just do static stretching, uh, at those long holds, holding it for 30 seconds, coming back up, holding it for 30 seconds again, and then you go right into playing, you it's it's been proven in the literature that the muscles that you just stretched are going to have reduced. Uh, having a reduced ability to produce force and yeah, kind of kills the elasticity, right? Exactly. Kills it. So you're going to, you're going to throw slower, run slower, react slower. So I usually tell people that if you have known or, uh, examined areas of tightness on, on your body, you can do a static stretch, a, a nice slow stretch like that, but then you have to follow that up with a more explosive kind of warm up. Yeah, that's good. And then fun, man. I think my favorite section is the side effects of training tools. So we get to learn yeah. about all the controversy, right? Long tossing, pull downs, weighted ball training, and, and other tools. Why don't you go into some of the, the things that you, you put in there and what you're talking about? So I think a big one to touch on is um, weighted balls. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Reinald just did a study this, this past year in 2018 and he ended up saying uh, or sh showing that around 25% of the pitchers that were that were going into this weighted ball program, one that you would just find on the internet, 25% of those pitchers got injured, significantly injured. Right. Um, and that's a problem, you know. And um, well, a lot of people like weighted balls. Well, and know, I let's stop. Let's stop right there. A lot. A lot of people. You know, you got to. I think you made the point. You said significant injury. These were pretty bad injuries. Tommy John, broken rib, labrum tear. So, I think a lot of people think, well, you know, injury because it's such a part of our game. We're like, oh, well, that's not a big deal. Twenty-five percent people got injured. No, these are almost career-ending injuries in a study, which almost walks the line of being unethical to do that to people just for a study. <laughs> but I don't think he was aware that that was going to happen. But because exactly. a lot of people start going, well. You know, I have to I have to get in the fight with Olympic lifting. Well, you get injured Olympic lifting. Well, yeah, like strains and sprains, not broken ribs and torn labrums. I mean that that's more of a rarity. But that seemed to be, it seemed to be in this study. I know we need more studies. It seemed to be something mm -hmm. that that is a real concern, don't you think? I do. Yeah, yeah. And I like again what what I what I preach 
every day and what I preach in this book is that you need to know what condition your body is in before you start any kind of program, especially a weighted ball program, since we know the stakes are so high. So at a minimum, you have to have, you know, my recommendation for using weighted balls is almost kind of use it as a last resort. Like have you, you know, make sure your body is moving on all cylinders. Make sure that you go through the examination in the book, examine your body, and make sure that all that is at, a, is at the required levels of strength and flexibility and control. Once you have that, you know, have you, are your mechanics on point? You know, um, have you, have you been doing a strength and conditioning program already? And have you kind of capped out your results with all those other things? And then if you're still looking for more, if your body's able to do it, then maybe play around with weighted balls, but not before you, you've properly prepared your body and made sure that you're throwing perfectly. Yeah. What do you think of <laughs> the alternative that I've developed with like a, a two handed medicine ball throw, as opposed to using an overload approach with a one handed baseball? Well, the one handed approach, uh, with a heavier or with a either heavier or a layer load ball will obviously be more stressful on the one arm doing a two arm throw with a med ball overhead, right? You're doing yeah, like yeah, a overhead. Yeah. Like, yeah, we do overhead. You're, 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 you're still going to get the, the, the power generation and the power performance with your arm moving forward, which is great. It's not going to be as sports specific as like, say a, uh, as, as a weighted ball, but, we have to weigh the pros and cons of that, right? Like how, yeah. how much sports specificity do you want to get? And let, let's look at what the injury is, right. what, what the injury could be. Right. So I'd rather take an approach like you have, uh, maximize everything else that you can beforehand. And then if you, if you want to dabble with weighted balls, make sure you're working with a coach who knows how to use them. Yeah, I think because what happens is if you're in our position where we're influencing a lot of people, and we're in, we're guiding a lot of people to something that's that's got more of a serious risk. Then we're going to have to sit there and watch a lot of people get injured. And that's some not something I want to do as a coach, or I'm sure you want to do as a coach as well, or a physical mm -hmm. therapist. So I, I think risk versus reward is is really important, and and that's something where you you really have to play the odds. Specifically, if you're a coach and you're influencing a lot of kids, you need to be careful with that. Oh, 100%. Like if I just know. If I was if I was the coach responsible for for my pitchers and I didn't know what their body was, what kind of condition their body was in, uh, scientifically, like how much what their arcs of motion were, how much hip strength they have, how much hip mobility they have, if I didn't know that stuff, there's no way that I'd be that I would let any kid hold a weighted ball or yeah or do a quote-unquote i hate this term but velocity program which typically is just right. cooking the arm because mm -hmm. you're just asking for it right right <laughs> exactly right exactly so you know the body needs to be properly prepared before you start stuff like that so all right so this last the last section the base three system so that's your assessment system mm -hmm. um and then you kind of close from there like I know you gave it, you talked about it already. I mean, is there any, any extra things you want to say about it or, or any closing on really um, more about the book? Anything I left out about the book? You know, there's uh, there's 
uh, there's like 20, I think 26 items that I have in here to go through. And it looks kind of, it looks kind of long and maybe daunting at first. Like, Oh my God, look at all these things that I have to look at. Um, but these are the basics of what you need to have right in order to become a high velocity pitcher throwing with great command and also to reduce the chance of having an injury. So I, I walk, I, I walk you through each exam, uh, each, each test in the book, uh, in very easy to use terms. Cause I really want mom, the moms and dads out there, the people that know nothing about, uh, medicine or they don't know the body. I walk people through in a very easy, easy, easy to do process. Uh, and we're grading these tests like strong or weak, uh, tight or not tight. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, the, the examination is one part of it. Like you have to know what is weak and what's tight, but that's only half of it, right? You have to, once you know what you need to work on, then you need to get on a proper program to fix that. Uh, and so I give away uh, a little bit in, in the book about like, all right, if you're weak here, go to this website and here's, here's how you perform the first progression of how to strengthen your hip. Is that the commandtheplate.com? That's the commandtheplate.com, yeah. So after, um, once you know what is what the base three examination found, and by the way, base three stands for, it's a mouthful, it stands for Biomechanical Athletic Strength Examination. <laughs> I like it, man. That's pretty so, cool. Good name. And, and the three is for the three things that we're primarily looking at. We're looking at flexibility, we're looking at strength, and we're looking at control. Yeah. And we, when we put all those three things together, you know, we're going to have the foundation for creating power and creating tension, and that's going to help us unleash our maximum performance. But by all means, you have to know what you what your body needs, and then you need to get on a proper program to fix that. So, and I have that available. It's called Command the Plate, uh, CommandThePlate.com. It's a it's a progression. So you no matter what exercise you, you learn for, to strengthen your hip, you're going to need to progress that. Uh, you're going to need to progress to the next hardest one and the next hardest one. And so this plan that I have is meant for, it's meant for youth players who have no experience in the gym. It's meant for the elite pitchers, the, the professional guys that I work with. They all kind of fit right into this. It's kind of a choose your own starting point. You know, you kind of work through the progressions until you find the right one for you. And the idea is that once you've reached the end progression for all the things that you need to work on, you retest yourself with the base three exam, you should have no areas that you need to work on, and then you have successfully laid your proper foundation to be able to maximize potential with your training programs, with a pitching coach, with whomever you want. Cool. Well, that's yeah. awesome, man. You nailed it. Um, and and then you got some good uh you got some good um support here from pitching coaches in the community coach riddick myself mm -hmm. i'll take that yes sir yes and, sir uh, thank you so much man yeah man i'm excited <laughs> so I'm, I'm i'm telling everybody to go get the book uh well, i'll put the information here uh with the podcast and um go get the book and and learn man i think more people need to get up to date on all this information and coaches and parents players i think this book's for everybody right 
I would completely agree with you. It's for everyone that is is make is plans to make baseball a serious part of their life. Yes, you're right. That's a good way of putting it. All right, man. Any last words you want to tell them how to get in touch with you? Uh, let's see. You can. Um, I guess the best way to get in touch with me would be on uh, Twitter and be at uh, Dr. Chris McKenzie. So Dr. and then Chris McKenzie. Um, that's probably the best way. Uh, Instagram is McKenzie Sports or at McKenzie Sports Physical Therapy. Um, and then my uh, clinic website is uh, McKenzie Sports Physical Therapy.com. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll do this again hopefully soon. Yes, sir. Get the book, guys. Get the book. Get it from Brent.